Jesus said, few will be saved. I want to encourage you to turn with me to Luke chapter 13. In just a moment, we're going to read verses 22 through 30. We'll spend almost all of our time in the Gospel of Luke this evening. I will draw your attention to a familiar text in Isaiah chapter 59. But other than that, we'll spend our time in the Gospel of Luke. I would encourage you to to turn with me in in your Bible and to hear the voice of, of Jesus as He speaks to us tonight about salvation and as we hear His voice that we would grow in our understanding and conviction that in response to the question, Lord, are there few who are saved? Jesus' answer to that question is yes. Jesus said that few will be saved. In Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 22, Jesus is going through the cities and villages, and He's teaching, and He's journeying toward Jerusalem. And then one said to Him, Lord, are there few who are saved. And he said to them, beginning in verse 24, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, And you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you. Where are you from? And then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you. Where are you from? Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. They will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there are last who will be first. And there are first who will be last. In Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 22, in response to the question, Lord, are there few who are saved? Jesus said, yes. He used some some other words, but in essence, he said, yes, few will be saved. And when we look at the few in verse 23, that's a word that it's used of of number. It's a word that's used of, of quantity. And so Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 22, verse 14, many... In contrast to the few, many are called, but few are chosen. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would encourage us to enter by the narrow gate. And He would encourage us to do that because wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many, many in contrast to the few, there are many who go in by it. And he would elaborate on that there, and he would say, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. And so I think there are a number of reasons why we ought to consider the truth that Jesus said that few will be saved. And as we think about the the importance of understanding this in our own lives, 
I want to encourage you to not be discouraged by the fact that we're talking about the fact that Jesus said few will be saved in contrast to the many. Against the backdrop of this truth, don't despair and give up. There is hope. There are those. Yes, there are few, but there are those who are going to be saved. There is hope. And the hope that we have in Christ is that we can be among the few. We can be a part of the us that we talked about this morning, that God hasn't appointed wrath unto. We can be a part of the saved. Jesus also said in Luke's Gospel in chapter 18, verses 26 and 27, in response to some teaching He had done, who then can be saved? I find myself asking that, that question from time to time when I compare myself, when I compare folks that I love, when I compare folks that, that I don't think deserve to be saved, when, when I compare us with the God who is holy, holy, holy. He is holy in the absolute, which means that He is completely set apart from sin. When I think about all that, I too sometimes think, well, then who, who can be saved? And when I think about that question and when I wrestle with that myself, I, I fall back on what Jesus said in Luke 18, verse 27. When it comes to my salvation and your salvation, that belongs to the category of things that are impossible with men. But the things that are impossible with men, according to Jesus, things like saying to a, to a storm, things like saying to the wind and to the waves, Peace be still. Things that are impossible with men. They are possible with God. And that is precisely how the Holy Spirit uses the beloved physician Luke to, to paint a picture of Jesus. Luke begins in chapter 1 verse 31 by declaring that Jesus would be called Jesus because He's going to be a Savior. Luke 1, 69, God has given us in Jesus a horn of salvation. When Jesus came into the world, He was pronounced as a Savior, Christ the Lord, in Luke 2, verse 11. Do not despair. There is hope. You can be among the few. And so as we think about why Jesus said... Few will be saved. It just naturally raises the question for me, why? Why, why are few going to be saved in contrast to the many? And so as we think about that question, why are there going to be few instead of many? I think that we need to consider two things. I think that we need to consider the Savior, and I think that we need to consider the saved. 
And as we consider the Savior and we consider the saved, then we get a better understanding of why Jesus said there are going to be few who are saved in contrast to the many. And so as we think about the Savior, I want you to understand this evening, and I want you to be convicted about this, and I want you to believe this in the depth of your being. I want you to know that few will be saved not because of the unwillingness of the Savior. In Luke's Gospel and in chapter 5, what was the point of the signs and the wonders and the miracles that Jesus did? It was to communicate that His Word was true, Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. And so in Luke 5 and in verses 12 and 13, we have this, we have this episode in the life of Jesus in which these these lepers, this, 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 this man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus and he fell on his place and he implored him and he said to him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I love what Jesus said, but I love more than what he said in verse 13 is what he did. He put out his hand and he touched an unclean person and he took his uncleanness away from him. He healed him. He cleansed him. And as he put out his hand and as he touched him, he said to him, I am willing. Be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him. You know, that is God's will in your life for you in Christ Jesus through the Holy Spirit. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so what you need above all else is for your sins to be cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Few will be saved, not because of the unwillingness of the Savior. Look at chapter 9, verse 56. I love the fact that Jesus nicknamed James and John the sons of thunder. And so we have this episode in the life of Jesus in which the sons of thunder are ready to rain fire down on this village of Samaritans because they've rejected Jesus. And Jesus says to them in verse 55, you, you, you don't know what spirit you are of. Boys, that's not the spirit. That is not why I came. I did not come, verse 56, to destroy men's lives. I have come to save them. Why are few going to be saved? Well, it doesn't have anything to do with the unwillingness of the Savior. Chapter 19 is a story that we have turned into an account of a wee little man. The story of Zacchaeus is, is about so much more than the fact that Zacchaeus was short in stature and that he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he, he, he longed to see. The story of Zacchaeus is the story of salvation. And Jesus would say in verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house because he is also a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come. And here is why He came. He didn't just come to save folks. He came to seek folks to save. He didn't just come to save the folks who came to Him. He came to seek the folks that were far from Him, that had gone into the far country, who were lost in sin. When Jesus tells us that, Few are going to be saved. It's not because of the unwillingness of the Savior. And I want to tell you something else that we need to be properly aligned concerned concerning the Savior this evening. It's not because of His inability to save more. Why are few going to be saved? 
The problem does not lie within the Savior. And so in Isaiah 59 and in verses 1 and 2, over 700 years before, before the Savior comes into the world as Emmanuel, God with us, God through the prophet Isaiah explained it to us with a word picture that we need to see by faith. Behold the true and living God, the great I am, Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord. His hand is not shortened that it cannot save. One of my favorite ways to illustrate sin is that you are drowning in a sea of your own sin. You are drowning in a sea that you have created. And so as we think about the cup that he drank and how we, we, we pour the, the, the drops, drop by drop, into the cup, as you think about your sin, you are drowning in a sea of your own sins. And so here is what Jesus is attempting to do for you. He is attempting, like he did with those lepers in Luke 5, he is attempting to reach out to you. He is extending his hand of grace that is motivated by his love for you. He is seeking to stick his hand out so that you can grab hold of him and he can pull you out of that watery grave of death to himself so that he can save you, rescue you, and keep you. The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. He can reach you. It's not that he can't hear you. It's not that his ear is so heavy that he can't hear you. You ever tried to ask somebody from help and there was just no response? You ever just been desperate for, for help? You ever been in danger and call out for someone to help you, to extend their, their arm to help you, and there was no arm, there was no response, there was just silence? It's not a hearing problem. Few are going to be saved in contrast to the many, not because of the inability of the true and living God to hear you calling upon His name. What's the problem? Verse 2 of Isaiah 59, But your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He will not hear. And so what is the problem? The problem is sin. And the reality of our lives is there is nothing that we, we can do about it. We need help to overcome the distance that we have created between ourselves and God because of the sin that we have chosen to commit. And that is who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who bridges the gap that we created between ourselves and God because of our sin. Few will be saved, not because 
of the unwillingness or the inability of the Savior, few will be saved because when we consider the category of the few who, who will be saved, there will be few who are saved because of a lack of willingness on the part of those who Jesus so desperately wants to save. Look at Luke chapter 13, verse 34. What does Jesus say to Jerusalem? The city of David, the city of God. Luke 13, 34. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. What's the problem? Is the problem the unwillingness of of Jesus to save them? Is it his inability? God forbid. What's the problem? The problem, according to Jesus, is you were not willing. Look at Luke chapter 7. Why are few going to be saved? Well, because of a lack of faith. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus is in Capernaum, and a certain centurion had a servant who was dear to him, and he was sick, and he was ready to die. And when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders to the Jews to him, and he pleaded with him to come and heal his servant. And this, this centurion, by definition, is, is not a Jew. He's not of the house of Israel. He's not a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so when Jesus hears about this, about this man's faith, Look at what verse 9 tells us. God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, he marveled. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at this centurion. And he turned around and he said to the crowd that followed him, I, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Why are there going to be few who are saved? Because of a lack of willingness? Because of a lack of faith? And according to the Savior, because of a lack of confession. Look at Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. All of the Word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit, but I, I like using the red letter edition. I recommend it. Because the red letter edition communicates, okay, this is something that Jesus said when he was in the flesh and he was on the world. And, you know, I'm, I'm simple. So, like, I look at my copy of Luke's gospel and, and his words, they just jump off the page, right? They're red. They're just, they're, they're coming at me. I like that. And one of the reasons why I like to, to take a red letter edition when I'm, when I'm trying to lead somebody to Jesus is because I want them to see. I don't want there to be any doubt about the truth that Jesus said this. Jesus said that few are going to be saved. Jesus said it's because of a lack of willingness. It's because of a lack of faith. It's because of a lack of confession. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 8. Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man will, will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Why are few going to be saved? Because of a lack of willingness to confess Jesus. 
That's one of the reasons why there are going to be few versus the many. But that's not all. Look at Luke chapter 13. Well, if there was ever a, an event in the life of Jesus that closely parallels the days of our lives, it's right here in Luke 13. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood had mingled with their sacrifices. I don't know if you've read very much about that, but secular history has a lot to say about that, and that's an awful way to die. I think one of the blessings of, of, of having parents and grandparents and family members who are Christians, as I've had every advantage in Christ Jesus, is all my life I've been going to funerals. And all my life I've been thinking about death. And all my life I have been thinking about ways that I don't want to die. I've got a list. And this is on it. Uh, this is horrible. So they come around to Jesus and they say, Jesus, what do you think about this? And Jesus said, well, I want to ask you a question. Do you suppose? And what did he know? He, he knew that's what they supposed. Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? And I'm telling you, that's the world in which we live. Something bad happens and breaking news. What do you think about it? What do you think about it? Well, let me tell you what I think about it. And Jesus says, do you suppose I say unto you, I tell you no. You need to stop thinking about all the bad stuff that happens to other people. And you need to start examining yourself. You need to stop being every other man's judge. And you need to think about your relationship with the true and living God, the righteous judge. And I tell you no, but unless you repent. You will all likewise perish. And I love what he does in verse 4 too, because you know in our day, there, there, isn't just, there isn't just one breaking news. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? It's just a constant stream of breaking news. And so breaking news, verse 1, Jesus, what do you think about this? And so Jesus says, okay, Gave you something to think about about that first thing there you wanted to talk about. How about this one? Y'all remember those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed? Do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? And you know, that was the common theology of their day, right? All these bad things happened to all these people because they're so bad. And Jesus says, let me tell you something. I, no. No. I tell you, one of the great lessons that the wisest man who, who, who lived on this earth with the exception of Emmanuel, God with us, one of, the, one of the greatest truths that Solomon teaches us in the Ecclesiastes is that time and chance happen to everybody. You may just be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and you may die a horrible death, or you may just be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And a, and a tower may fall on you, and you may die. I'll tell you what you need to do, Jesus says. You need to repent of your sins. So that when you die, it won't matter how you died. Let me hit you with some need-to-know information tonight. You are going to die. And so am I. And so is everyone that, that you know. 
It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Jesus said, forget about, forget about those people that died because of what Pilate did, and forget about those people that you need to think about yourself, and you need to think about whether or not you are ready to die. And the only way to be ready to die is to consider the sin that you have committed that has separated you from God, and you need to repent of that. You need to turn from that, and you need to turn to serve the living God. Why are there going to be few who are going to be saved? Because, because of a lack of baptism. Look, look at Luke chapter 7. In Luke the 7th chapter, there are some folks that trying to figure out who this... <clears throat> who this John the Baptist is, and, and John the Baptist has suffered, and John the Baptist is, 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 sending, is sending disciples to Jesus because he has some questions himself. And so Jesus tells John's disciples, here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go tell John. I want you to go tell John what you've seen and what you've heard. Verses 22, and then in verse 23, he says, I want you to tell John that blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And I want to tell you something about all that right there. When John came to understand who he was and his purpose and God's eternal purpose, I, I don't think that he ever thought that he was going to be in prison the way he was. And I, I don't think that he ever thought that, you know, he was going to get his head cut off and that it was going to be placed on a platter and it was going to be paraded around in front, in, in front of a bunch of godless people. I, I don't think that that's what he thought. His life was going to be when he, when he began to preach repentance for the, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the gospel of the kingdom. And so he, he, didn't, he didn't quite understand what's happening or why it's happening. And I want to tell you, he was in danger, verse 23, of being offended because of that. And Jesus said, listen, you go tell him what you've seen. And when he thinks about what you've seen, that's going to encourage him. That's going to build faith in him. That's going to help him to overcome these, these questions of, of doubt and uncertainty. Is asked. And oh, by the way, I want you to tell him, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And so when the messengers of John depart, they begin to speak to the multitudes concerning John. And Jesus says, what do you go out to the wilderness to see? Why did you all go out there? Did you go to see a reed shaken by the wind? Did you go out there to see a man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are who are gloriously apparelled and live in luxury or in king's courts. But what did you go out to see, a prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, this is the prophesied prophet. This is the prophecy of prophecy. This is, this is the prophet of prophecy. This is the prophet of Isaiah 40 and Malachi 3. This is the messenger that the true and living God sent before the face of his anointed who went before the face of the Messiah to prepare the way for the Messiah. And so Jesus says, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than him. And this is what the Holy Spirit says about all this in verses 29 and 30. When all the people heard him, even the tax collectors, justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. Watch this very carefully. This is what the Spirit of God tells us in verse 30 about all this. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves. And how did they do that? 
They did that not having been baptized by John. Why are few going to be saved? It's not because of the unwillingness or the inability of the Savior to save. It's because of a, of a lack. It's because of a lack of willingness. It's because of a lack of faith. It's because of a lack of confession. It's because of a lack of repentance. And it is because of a lack of baptism. What was John the Baptist doing? He's preaching the same gospel of Jesus that Jesus preached. What's he doing? He's preparing the way. He's preaching a gospel of repentance. He's preaching a baptism of repentance unto and for the remission of sins. Mark 1, 1 through 4. What is John doing? He is preparing the way for the one Lord. He is preparing the way for the one baptism. He has been sent by the one Lord, he, by the one God and Father. He is being empowered by the one Spirit. He is revealing a part of the one faith. And because of His work in the person of Jesus, there is one hope of our calling. And you know what they did with John? They rejected him, and they rejected his baptism. And in doing so, the Holy Spirit says, they rejected the will of God for themselves. And that is precisely what folks do when you share the great commission of Jesus Christ with them. And then you turn to the book of Acts in which the... Great Commission begins to be carried out, and you take them to Acts 2.38, and then you, you show them all the cases of conversion in the book of Acts where everybody that was saved by grace through faith was willing. They came in full assurance of faith, confessing their sins, confessing Jesus, repenting of their sins. And I want to tell you something for you to think about this evening. In Acts, the second chapter, I don't have any idea how many people that were present on the day of Pentecost and heard the gospel of Jesus Christ preached by Peter. I don't know how many people on the day of Pentecost believed what Peter said to them that day. You know why I don't know how many people believed what was preached? Because the Holy Spirit doesn't tell us in Acts chapter 2 how many people who heard what he said. The Holy Spirit doesn't tell us in Acts chapter 2 how many people believed but do you know what the Holy Spirit does tell us in Acts chapter 2? It tells us how many of those people who heard what Peter said were baptized into Christ for the remission of their sins. You see that tonight? That's the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And we reason with people and we... Okay, I'm willing. Okay, I believe. Okay, I'm ready to confess. In, as much as lies within me, I'm ready to repent. It. But baptism, no, that's a work. We're saved by faith. And I tell you what we do. We take that personally, don't we? And I tell you what we need to do. We need to see it as it is in truth. It's folks who are rejecting the will of God for themselves. It's folks who are not justifying God. It's folks who are choosing not to put themselves into the category of the few, but to remain in the category 
of the many. By all accounts, there were one to three million people in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost in Acts, the second chapter. And the Holy Spirit tells us that 3,000 were baptized. Do you know what percentage that is? I'm not good at math. I need a calculator to do the percentage. I don't have the percentage written down on my notes. But I want you to think about this. This is how I think about stuff, right? Three million. You know how many that is? That's a lot. That's many. 3,000, you know how many that is? That's few. Jesus said few will be saved because of a lack of striving. Go back to, to Luke 13. This is where we'll conclude. We, be, we began in Luke 13 and we'll, we'll book in our thoughts with Luke 13. Lord, are there, are there few who are saved? And this is the first word that Jesus used in his response to that question. Lord, are there few who are saved? And Jesus said to them, strive. I believe very strongly that the Word of God is the Word of God. And as such, the Holy Spirit carried these, these men along and, and he, he told them what to write. He gave them the words that they wrote down. And words have meanings. And we need to understand the words that the Spirit Used. And so when we look at what Jesus said in Luke 13, verse 24, strive, the, the Greek word as it's transliterated into English, you, you can see in that word, the word agonize. What does it mean to strive? It means to, to agonize. Strong would say it means to struggle. And furthermore, it, it's used literally to communicate an activity in which we're involved in, in which we compete for a prize, which is what the Spirit uses Paul to, to say to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9.25. Life in Christ, it's, it's, it's a race. It's, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's, it's, a, it's a long run in which we, we struggle as we compete for this prize. Figuratively, it's used to contend with an adversary. That's the way it's used in 1 Timothy 6, verse 12. There is a fight to fight. And in this fight, it is going to be agonizing. It is going to be a struggle. It is going to be a competition in which we have an adversary. hates us because the adversary hates him. And when you sift through all of the symbolic language in the book of Revelation, the simplicity of Revelation is this. God and the devil go to war together and God wins. And you get to choose whose team you're going to be on. You can choose team God and you can overcome through the blood of the Lamb. You can choose to be chosen 
and, and you can choose to be chosen by accepting the call. You can be a part of the called and the chosen, and you can be faithful. Revelation 17, 14. And you can overcome through Him. The choice is yours. But you need to know, Revelation 12, that when the devil was unsuccessful in taking out Jesus and thwarting God's eternal purpose, that he decided to turn his attention to his offspring. And he has just a short time, but in this short time, he's going to do everything within his power to separate you from God. Jesus says, let me tell you something. The reason why there are going to be so few people who are saved is because of a lack of striving. You're going to have to struggle with the devil. You're going to have to struggle with temptation. You're going to have to endeavor to accomplish something in him and through him and because of him and to his glory relying on Him and His power. Thayer would say it means to endeavor with strenuous zeal. Are you on fire for God tonight? Anytime I speak somewhere and folks come back for the PM service, I mean, it's just kind of like a sigh of relief, right? I mean, thanks for coming back, right? (laughs) Two this morning and you came back. Thank you. But typically, you know, the Sunday night crowd, right? The Wednesday night crowd, it It is full of folks who are on fire for God, right? And that is God's will for us that we would be be on fire for God, that the gospel of Jesus, that Christ in us, that we would be like Jeremiah, that it would be like fire in our bones and it would just burn us up from the inside out, that we would share it with others because of our conviction in it and our love for Him. And this is how Jesus wants us to live. Strive to enter through the narrow way. Strive to enter through the narrow door. One of the things I love about Paul is what he tells us about himself, that he found grace, and what God chose to do with him is to use him as an example, to use him as a pattern. I mean, there are folks who want to talk about how we talk too much about patterns. And I would submit to them that we, that we don't talk enough about patterns. And one of the patterns that we don't talk enough about is Saul of Tarsus. And Saul of Tarsus says, listen, this is what God did for me and, and did for you. He saved me by His grace and He set me apart. And He made me a, a, an example. He made me a pattern for those who would come to faith and follow Jesus after me. And so what does that mean? It means that we can look at Saul of Tarsus and we can see ourselves in Him. He didn't deserve the grace that he was given, and neither do you, and neither do I. But when he accepted the grace of God by faith, he confessed Jesus and repented of his sins, and he was baptized into Christ, and he began living his life in such a way that at the end of his life, here's what he said, I have fought. I have fought. There is a fight to fight. There is a race to run. And at the end of our fight and at the end of our race, we too, what the Apostle Paul can say, Jesus was with me every step of the way. I know in whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that He is able to deliver me. 
And here I am at the end of my life, 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, and He has delivered me, and He is about to deliver me into glory. And, and, and you can have that relationship with Him too. You just need to grow. You need to grow in His grace. You need to grow in, in your knowledge of Him. And you need to strive. Because your enemy is going to strive, and he's never going to stop. He's like a roaring lion, and he's seeking whom he may devour. And he is not going down without a fight, and he is going to take down as many of God's people with him on his way down. And Jesus said, let me tell you what you need to do. You need to strive. You know, when we think about Jesus saying to us that few will be saved, it really puts Noah and the ark and 1 Peter 3 and 1 Peter 3, 21 in perspective, doesn't it? The ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. This is not new. The concept of there being few versus the many being saved, that, that shouldn't shock us. That's something that God's been trying to communicate to us from the beginning. When you look at Genesis 6, what was the problem? The problem was that God's image bearers were continually thinking about evil all the day long, every day. They, they were striving all right. But not into good. They were striving into evil, and the Lord repented that He had even made man. But what did, what did Noah find? He found grace. And Noah's family saved, found grace, and there were eight souls that were saved through water. And so the ESV would translate 1 Peter 3 21, and it would say, Now, 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 now this corresponds to that baptism. And it's, and it's baptism that, that, that saves us. It's baptism into Christ for the remission of our sins. And why are there going to be few? Because the many are going to do the same thing that they did to Noah. They're just going to scoff. And you know what I like to say about scoffers? Scoffers are going to scoff. I mean, don't be one of them. And don't let them distract you from the truth of what Jesus has to say to you in your life. Scoffers are going to scoff, but Jesus said and is saying and will say until He comes again, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Men and brethren, what shall we do? We believe this message that you have preached about Jesus of Nazareth. We believe that we were wrong about Him. We are confessing that we were wrong about Him. We are asking you, how do we repent of this? Men and brethren, repent and let each one of you be baptized for the remission of your sins. I don't know how many believe what He said, in Acts the second chapter, but I know that 3,000 were baptized, and the Holy Spirit tells us that it was the Lord Himself that added those 3,000 to His church. There were a few, and there are a few today, and I want you to be encouraged tonight that you can be among them. Jesus said few will be saved. It's not because of an unwillingness on His part to save or, or the inability of Jesus to save more. It, it's because of a lack of, of willingness and a lack of faith and a lack of confession and a lack of repentance and a lack of baptism and a lack of striving. And so in your life, you go with Jesus. You, you get out of your way. 
And by faith you hear the voice of Jesus. And you obey His voice. And when He comes again, you will find yourself among the few. And the glorious hope that we have if we're among that few number is that we get to see His face, Revelation 22, 4. And I tell you what I want to do when I see Him. I want to thank Him for being willing and I want to thank Him for being able. And I want to thank Him for giving me the glorious opportunity to understand the simplicity of the question, what must I do to be saved? Do you know why He's answered that question for us? Because He's not willing that any of us should perish, but that all of us should come to Him. And we don't have to wonder about how to do that because He's told us. Do you hear His voice tonight? Do you know His will for you and you haven't obeyed it? The only thing that stands between you and Him is you. Get out of your way. In simple faith, come to Him. While we stand and while we sing, if we can help you to obey Him in any way, come to the front while we sing.